Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Taylor Eves all about how concussion recovery cannot be a protocol. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Dr. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. And also, please join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Dr. Taylor Eves, and he is a licensed chiropractic physician from Beaumont, Texas. He received his bachelor's in exercise physiology from the University of Arkansas at Monticello, where he played college baseball and later coached for one year. He received his chiropractic degree from Parker University Chiropractic College in Dallas, Texas. During his final months in chiropractic school, he had the opportunity to work at the Dallas VA Medical Hospital, where he treated over 600 veterans. He has, he has several hundred hours of postdoctoral specialty training in chiropractic neurology and applied clinical neuroscience and rehabilitation of patients with mild traumatic brain injuries. He also has a master's degree in neuroscience from Parker University. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Eve. So happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me on, Amy. I'm glad to be here. Well, I am really excited to talk about this topic today of concussion protocols because that's definitely a buzzword, and I know you have some Mm -hmm. strong feelings on it. Um, But first, I would love for you to share with us how you came to do what you do and working with the brain injury community. Well, it's a long story, but... One, I had the privilege to talk or talk to, to learn from several just amazing doctors in Dallas, Um, Dr. Brandon Brock, Dr. Jason Mikulski, and many others. There was a clinic in Dallas. It's not there anymore. Um, And they treated tons of traumatic brain injury patients. And that was my exposure. And it was only about five minutes down the road from Parker University. So I was able to drop in whenever I wanted and was able to shadow and, and, and see these patients go from having these brain injuries to having no hope to getting very specific treatment um, 
for them and they would recover and it was just unbelievable so we would see I don't want to call them miracles, but we would see, you know, miracles every week that we would go in there. And it was, there was all these new patients, and it was just unbelievable. And one thing I really learned from there was you cannot protocol these things. And that's kind of our mm-hmm. topic today. But, you know, I've, you learned, I learned that before I ever even got interested in taking any courses on uh, traumatic brain injury and the brain and learning about this stuff because um, you would see patients come in, they would – get certain treatments and then certain treatments that worked for that same patient before the next patient that had the same injury would come in and then that would completely tank them and then sit them back. So yeah, I got exposed <laughs> from an early age from it, I guess, starting this stuff. It was great. Yeah. You know, so just kind of jumping into the whole protocol discussion, um, you know, the saying is if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury, right? Like, cause exactly. there's, there's yeah. no two that are exactly alike. Um, no two brain injuries are the same. No two recoveries are the same. And you cannot base one recovery on somebody else's recovery. And, you know, I use the example all the time. Two people can be in the exact same car act and have just vastly different issues, right? Um, so there's, there's just no you can't put people in a box when it comes to concussion recovery and mm-hmm. you know concussion protocol has kind of become a buzzword and there's a certain clinic out there that um likes to you know say they have this concussion protocol in place and you know where i do see a protocol possibly working is in an er environment where you have like a checklist of like, okay, do they exhibit this, this, or this? We need to tell them they have a concussion. Right. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think they're getting better at that. um, But it's still so overlooked. I mean, if you've been in a car accident, you probably have a concussion. Like there's just, there's really no question about it. You don't have to hit your head. You don't have to lose consciousness. Um, But where these concussion protocols come into play is like, the way that they think patients should be treated after a concussion, like do X, Y, and then Z. And you might need B, P, and K, you know, like, (laughs) it's like, you can't, you just can't, you just can't, (laughs) you know, when you have, you've gone through it. So you understand. And (laughs) exactly. And I think, to hit on your point, because I actually had this in mind I want to talk about, not all protocols are bad. So if I am having a heart attack, I want to go through a protocol mm-hmm. that would save my life. And, and that's what the medical and really um, a, a lot of these communities, they're really good with this acute phase of different disease. And that's fantastic. But we always are seeing these post-concussion cases, which are, you know, months after the injury. So, you know, and I actually, I've treated chiropractically, I've treated um, ER doctors, I've treated some of these people, and, you know, rightfully so. They are not, they're trying to save your life, and if your life yeah. is saved and you, you know, they get you out of their door, that that's what they're trained to do. And so a lot of people are not really trained in seeing these complex cases and in, in asking the deeper questions. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you'll never see drugs treat concussions unless there's artificial intelligence involved in the future because you just can't 
you know, it's just mm-hmm. too complex. And every, like you said, every brain injury is different. Every car accident or however it happened, it could happen the same way to multiple different people. And you have to ask different questions. So when someone comes in, you know, what are their genetics? What are their environmental factors, family support, past medical history, trauma? Trauma is a big one for me. Autoimmune disease. How did they hit their head? And did they even hit their head? Like you said, you know, you got to ask questions like this because this determines or changes how you treat people and the outcomes you get. So protocols are great for acute settings, but that's really not the traumatic brain injury um, community. That's not what we see. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, yeah. what do you see? What, you know, what are you finding? I mean, I I know how my rehab went with functional neurology, right? Like it was a two hour exam. I mean, nobody spent two hours with me. I think 20 minutes was the most I got with a neurologist. Um, And they did a thorough exam and then they tried different therapies with me. And like, if one made me feel worse, they're like, Oh, okay. We will do this one instead. You know, like it was a, almost a bit of trial and error to find out what was going to work best for you and what works for me might not work for, you know, the, the next person, because, you know, in my group, I see all the time people asking, will you share your, your eye exercises? And it's like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. no, they could mess you up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, So, you know, what, what is your experience with it? So I'm glad that you tell people that for one, because I've, I get that same thing. And, you know, it's just, it is a terrible, like I almost do not like to send people home with, uh, I I tell them, do not, you know, if you get these type of exercises, don't share them with people because it's very specific to what we found with you. And that's how every patient is. So when when someone comes in, we typically, we have a four step process. It is, we do eye tracking examination, um, we have a balance assessment, we have a cognitive assessment, we have a neurofeedback assessment, and we also have the physical exam. So it's a four-hour session, and that's usually split up over two days. So if, But not everyone can handle that. Like as you talk to people who get really fatigued, that might have to be broken up over three days. And that, again, protocol from the very beginning. Even with our testing, you can't protocol it. You know, you're on the phone with these people and you ask, well, you know, like how much can you handle? What, you know, someone's so fatigued, they can't even, you know, get through your testing. Then maybe we shouldn't force them to get through our testing. Maybe we should take a different approach. And that's before we ever even see the person. So you really can't, you know, you can't protocol that from the very beginning. But treatment's a whole different aspect. You know, we see people typically uh, three times a day for an hour-long session. And we'll see them for a week, sometimes two weeks, um, because we know that the brain needs repetition um, and specific repetition for change. Mm-hmm. Um, we, 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 I think that's kind of the paradigm in, you know, in functional neurology clinics that there's a lot of this uh, week-long intensive training, and I think it's great. But this is where the protocol aspect, you've got to get rid of it, because I might be doing the same thing for you, the first day, and maybe even the second day, but it could completely change the third day because we, we try to put people in context-specific therapy. So what that means is, you know, you doing eye movements, sitting, has nothing to do with you walking around in the real world. So you can't, you can't tell me that these different therapies that you're getting are going to transfer over. So we try to get people doing real-life scenario activities 
beginning of therapies here. So, and that changes from person to person. So let me, let me get further into that. So how did they sleep the night before? You know, that, that changes mm-hmm. on how we do our therapy. How does their heart rate change during the therapy? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, there, is there visible fatigue? Is, you know, you, you can't push a concussion patient past their neurometabolic fatigue point. So if your brain cannot handle, you know, 10 reps of whatever exercise, then you know what? We don't need to, we need to be able to measure and, and look at the patient in front of us and say, if I do any more, I might set them back for a week. And mm-hmm. I've learned the hard way, just like anyone in this field has learned the hard way. If you push someone who's had a concussion too far, too fast, you pass that neurometabolic fatigue point, you can make them worse. So this is why a lot of people, when they get to us, they've gone through the, the PT protocols, and they get to us and they say, you know, I did that same exercise in physical therapy, and I just I was, wanted to puke for three days. Yeah. So, yep. uh, yeah, it's a, you have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and I hear that a lot with, with PT, you know, there's, don't get me wrong. There are some great PTs out there who understand concussion, um, but they go to PT and they feel like crap. Right. And mm-hmm. like you said, you're pushing them past that point. And, you know, there's a fine line. You do have to push people. Right. But yep. there is mm-hmm. there's that fine line of pushing them too far as well. Um, uh, yeah, because, you know, doing too much. And, and that, that's always one of the questions I get from people is, mm-hmm. like, you know, I fatigue real easily. There's no way I can do a week-long intensive. There's just no way I can do that. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, well, you know, it's not what you think. It's not like they're going to have you running sprints for 20 minutes. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, I hate to say simple exercises, but I mean, like they mm-hmm. are simple, but they're incredibly difficult yeah. with a brain injury, right? It, um, it, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but you're doing them for like and, five minutes, not a half hour, like in PT. Yeah. Like PT so will have get, you do the same eye movement for 30 minutes. And it's like, no way. Yeah. yeah. And, and hey, maybe that is a, a good finding and a good therapy for that person but maybe not for 30 minutes, maybe for five minutes. Then you go over mm-hmm. to, over to something else and you do that and you, you get rest between everyone's different. And some people, they can't even do any therapy. So we start them with like hyperbaric oxygen. We, we so we, there's just, right. you got to take mm-hmm. the person in front of you and you got to, you have to say, what do they need right now more than anything else? And how can I, you know, make the greatest amount of change right now? And, you know, you might be getting the perfect therapy in a different office for that specific condition, but it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that like that is appropriate right now. So I think that's a huge point. If, if you are getting, it could be exactly what I want to do with you, but you're not ready for it yet. I see that all the time. And I have a few different cases. If you want, I can go over a couple of things. But yeah, that'd be great. One of the, one of the, yeah, one of the cases that really just opens my eye to this is I had a patient who it had been a year post whiplash injury, but never hit her head, but she definitely had a significant uh, concussion, post-concussion syndrome. She just severely light and sound sensitive, um, cognitive issues, balance issues. And she went to, you know, different therapies within the first couple of months and just completely destroyed her. I mean, just got significantly worse. And, you know, when she got here and I talked to her and I said, 
you know, those act, those therapies sound pretty good. Like I like those therapies that they were doing with you, but they were doing it too early or they were doing it um, at a, too much of a pace, at too fast of a pace. Because here's the thing, not to get very technical about the autonomic nervous system, but everything you do in your life, no matter what it is, it could be a thought, it could be grabbing a pencil. There is a blood flow response for that. There is a autonomic response. And she could not handle multiple repetitions because it was too much input to her brain and too much um, she wasn't meeting the demand for that task and then she would just crash so what I did was step back and say look where are we at we don't maybe we don't need to do these exercises right now but um, I think they're appropriate in the future so if I protocoled it and I said look let's do uh, let's do what the PT did then I would have just made it worse so we stepped back we did some very simple things, very specific for her condition, and, and then eventually we got to where we were able to do those more complex activities. But that's just one case, and that was a motion sensitivity that I can remember that was just significant. Just one eye movement too many would just knock her, like she'd be done for the rest of the day. So you just you have to look at that and say, is this therapy appropriate? Is it like – you? And if you don't do that, then you'll get a lot of people worse, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that's just one. Um, let me. Here's another one. Uh, yeah, I had a patient. He was lift. He was climbing up. And I'm trying to imagine it like a storm hatch, you know, like a heavy metal door that you're climbing up a ladder and you you open it up. And he thought that he opened it up all the way, so he started to continue to climb outside. And then the, the the door came down on the top of his head, boom, hit his head, and he just rolled down the stairs um, about 10 feet. And he hit his head multiple times, but that one hit on the top of his head completely, you know, it, just, it hurt his neck. He had a concussion from it. He has severe scalp pain from it. And he was getting treated with, you know, your traditional protocols like anti-inflammatories, injections, um, you know, they recommended surgery, things like that. And what I found was, look, let's let's do some simple things first. Let's not fatigue you because everything was fatiguing him to the point that he couldn't um, keep up with the therapies that he was being prescribed at the PT office. And um, so I did very light myofascial work on the neck. I did some eye movements that were specific for what I found on his exam. I didn't push him too hard. I did some balance stuff because his balance was definitely um, disrupted from that. And, you know, over – he was a case where I said, you know what, this week-long intensive that we usually do is appropriate. So let's break it up over like a month, do it every other day for a month because he couldn't handle it. So, again, back to the protocol thing. If I would have thrown him into a three-by-five is what we call him, he might not have – he might have quit day two. So – didn't push him, took our time, and over the next two or three months, he got significantly better. And he had been out for two years with this stuff, and he had just been debilitated and had to quit his job, and he wasn't working anymore and all these other things. So you just have to look at each individual brain and say, where did that brain come from? Where were the, all these other factors involved? And, and just go with it. So, you know, what – I'm trying to think of how to best phrase this. So the concussion protocols out there that are being created by, you know, large medical clinics, um, you know, they, 
think that they're doing the right thing and they think that they're on to something like profound. Um, you know, like what, why, <laughs> like, why do you think that they're coming up with these protocols? I mean, like, I guess I see where they're trying to go with it, but like, they're just, they're so misdirected. Like they just don't get it. And the people that go to these clinics, they're, you know, they're not getting better. They might get a little bit better, but they're not reaching their full potential. Sure. Uh, well, this is a, kind of a controversial and loaded I know. Uh, response. I know. Uh, so <laughs> it's a loaded question. <laughs> not being in those clinics and not being able to speak, or and I'm not criticizing, but if I had to just take a few guesses, one would be how can we make this reimbursable? Because a lot of, yeah. you know, insurance. what we do, uh, and, and other, yeah, insurance, that plays a huge part in this. And if you don't have a protocol that shows specific outcomes for the majority of people, kind of like drug trials, then how can you, why would an insurance company pay for that therapy if there's no, you know, evidence or whatever? But that's where it gets tricky because everyone's so different. It's like you cannot, how can you design a study over a protocol, like any protocol, unless it's very simple I don't see that working as efficiently, especially the complex cases that, that you know, people who've had these problems for five, ten years. Um, you know, so I think the problem is the reimbursement thing, but also, um, you know, if you look at, like, research and concussion, it's, like, it's very, like, they're measuring just a few different outcomes. Maybe it's heart rate variability or whatever it is, and, and you know, like everyone's so different that it's just, I don't see how you could design a study that makes sense for the mass population. And I think um, a lot of these people, I mean, they're doing things the right way. They're following research, but a lot of people in our field, you know, chiropractic neurology, functional neurology, um, you were kind of ahead of the curve. And what I mean is, you know, you're not looking at each person as, a subject and you know they need to go through this they have to do this we're looking at we're stepping back and saying since we're not controlled by insurance we can take our time yes it's expensive but it's very complicated whenever you have to say well this person's different than that person so what are what is what are the differences and and if you don't look at those subtleties i think that's where every the you know say these big concussion clinics they're going to go wrong is you know you know, one little twitch of an eye movement that means nothing to them can mean everything for us. And yes. um, I think that's the biggest difference, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you like expand on that a little bit? Like what you mean by that with the eye twitch? So I, we, all the time we find, um, you know, say, say someone comes in and they're dizzy and, you know, with business, usually the eyes are moving when they shouldn't be moving. Now, if you look at someone on bedside exam, you might not see those eye movements um, on the bedside because they're using their vision to suppress that, um, what we call nystagmus. So you might not see the quick phase or the slow phase of the eyes drifting. So that's constantly missed, 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 missed. We put their eyes in dark, and then it comes out. And yeah. to me, just one little thing like that, then all of a sudden it's, oh, well, this person all day long since they've had this concussion they've probably had this underlying in the background activation of these balance centers that 
you can't see on bedside because we're using uh, we're, we didn't put them in the dark and take away vision. So that's just one example because we do that with everyone. We put people in dark and then put them in light, and we look to see the difference in their eye movements. And we think just that one little thing is a huge uh, piece to getting people better because you know it's like you have a you have an army of brain cells, and if they're firing when they shouldn't, you might not see it. And that's the problem, and it's behind the scenes, and it's causing severe fatigue and all these other symptoms. Mm-hmm. And, but you look fine. You look fine. You know, you, you know, that's the number one thing we hear. You look fine. Um, it's in your head. Here's a neuropsychologist. Yep. You know, there's yep. – so <laughs> that's, a, that's what's frustrating. So we try to um, tease out these little subtleties um, in the exam, and, um, and we go with it from there. Yeah, you know, for me, my biggest thing was dizzy imbalance. And I kept telling everybody, I think it's coming from my eyes. I told the neurologist, mm-hmm. I told the eye doctor, I told the neuro ophthalmologist. Um, I went to the dizzy imbalance center and they told me it was just positional vertigo and did the Epley yeah. maneuver, which obviously mm-hmm. didn't help. Um, and I just, I'm a photographer, right? So I use my eyes. Like, like I'm mm-hmm. so in tune with my eyes. And my vision was fine. I could see. But I knew something wasn't right with my eyes. And when I would close my eyes at night to go to bed, it felt like they were literally rolling around in my head. And mm-hmm. I just kept being told, oh, you're just imagining that. And mm-hmm. in reality, that's exactly what was happening. <laughs> You know, and yeah. I mean, how many doctors did I go to that just dismissed the eye stuff? And, you know, and I had nystagmus and I had the square jerk wave or whatever that's called. I mean, I had a ton mm-hmm. of stuff going on with my eyes. Yeah. It, you know, well, one unique thing with a lot of the uh, functional or chiropractic neurologist, uh, and I'm not a chiropractic neurologist. I haven't taken the uh, diplomat exam, so I'm not saying I am. But a lot of the training what I've gone through and a lot of these other doctors have gone through is to really look at the eyes more in depth than most people and and, and then take those eye movements and really make a big deal out of them. Because And here's another thing. Why would I not listen to you telling me that? That you're telling me where your problem is. So the, right. Like I would, the, the reason people. <laughs> well, what do I know? <laughs> from what we found, yeah. The reason people dismiss other we because I'm in New Mexico, and, the, and talk about an underserved community. I mean, we are the only clinic that I know of that really is looking at these things in the state. So um, we hear it all. And the number one thing is, like, you got to listen to people. They, for the most part, they're telling you what's wrong with them. And if you don't listen, then, again, you're using, your ego is getting in the way of someone who's been suffering for years. Mm-hmm. And I think they know yeah. more about their condition intuitively than we know looking at them from a, uh, a patient standpoint. So we always listen to the patient because it just you're just doing them a disservice if you're not. So I'm pretty passionate about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the most validating part when I first found functional neurology. Um, Cause I mean, I was skeptical. I, I avoided it. Like, um, you know, I had found the doctor had found me, um, but I had avoided it for months 
because I was like, well, how are you going to help me when everybody else tells me mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do for me? Um, yeah. And, you know, then once I, I finally went in for the exam and like I said, it was two hours long. Um, and within like two minutes, he told me it was my eyes causing all my problems. And it was so mm-hmm. validating. Like, oh, my God, yeah. I'm not crazy. Um, and I think that's half half the healing process is just being validated. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's a, you know it's okay that you feel these symptoms, and here's why, and, and it's that's huge. And I I can't tell you, Amy, how many times someone comes in after a whiplash or after a uh, concussion, they've hit their head, and they're like, man, my neck is just killing me, my neck, my neck, my neck. And then people, we, you know, all everyone before us, before they've gotten here, they they treated the neck, looked at the neck, treated the neck, you know, like you know. And then we we say, well, if everyone's looked at the neck and everyone's treated the neck, then why are we why are we looking at the neck still? Or you know, yeah. what else is there going on? And a lot of times it is coming from the eyes because the, every time you turn your head and you look, your eyes and your neck are coordinated to look and search the environment. So if one's off, of course it's going to affect the other. And mm-hmm. that is just a, a significant thing for us. So we always look at the neck, but we always make sure the eyes aren't playing the underlying cause for the person's pain. So you have to listen to the patient. And if you don't, then you, you lose, you make people worse. So. So Dr. Eves, we're just about out of time and I would love oh, to I wrap we up. Just got started. I know. Right. It goes so fast. <laughs> um, I would love yeah. to wrap up by asking you, you know, like what are your final parting thoughts for our listener, your final words of wisdom, um, somebody listening who's still, you know, dealing with their issues, you know, what is your advice to them? My advice is don't stop looking. If you, you know, if you go to a clinic and you're doing therapies or you're going through a protocol or you're doing whatever they're saying and you feel yourself getting worse, especially significantly worse, and then they're just shrugging it off like it's no big deal, to me that's a huge deal. So if you're ever getting treatment somewhere and you question like, hey, why am I doing this? I'm feeling worse. Your question is valid. That means that it's probably not the appropriate therapy at the appropriate time and keep searching. Use resources. If you're on this page or you're listening to this podcast, then you already know there's resources out there that can point you to these different clinics that are going to look at these things. So if you are feeling worse with different therapies you've been given, then there's a reason for that. It's not, Mm -hmm. you're not making it up. Don't be part of the system. Find other help. That's what my parting thoughts would be. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. Um, so thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with our listeners. And if people want to find you, your clinic is Southwest Brain Performance Centers. And the website yes. is swbrainpc.com. And I do have that in the show notes, so you can go click on it if you're all right, uh, all right. listening to this. Um and uh, if anyone has questions, they can reach out to you directly. Absolutely. And they could call our, our office. Um, I could set aside time to talk to them. It, yeah, they can reach out to me on Instagram, it, all these different things. Just don't – make sure you ask questions and you reach out because your health is you, – you know, you get one life, and it's incredibly important. So yeah. don't, um, yeah. don't, you know, let that slide. So, But, yeah, thank and, you for having me on. And uh, your Instagram, share what your handle is. Okay. It is 
E-R. Wait, let me make sure. <laughs> I'm putting I'll you on the spot. It a few times. <laughs> uh, I don't want to lie and then tell you the wrong name. It is D-R period E, so doctor dot E underscore neurochiro, N-E-U-R-O-C-H-I-R-O. And that's the Instagram, so. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for being here today. It has been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Taylor Eves. And another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. You can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. And again, you can find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or you can go to facesoftbi.com to find all of our past episodes. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And remember to join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone. And I'll see you next time.